Okay, I like the confetti. I think maybe every week. I'll have to hire new janitorial staff every week too, but that's okay. We can get past that. They talked me into it at staff meeting. It wasn't my idea. They did remind me that the week before, I had said something about this being a party. It ought to be the biggest party all year, and everybody ought to come to celebrate. And they suggested as a way to get that across to the children is to use the confetti cannons. I had to think about it a few minutes. I asked for a moment of quiet, which is unusual. I contemplated how many emails I might get, and then I decided, ah, it's Easter. Why not? I think that the parents might have enjoyed it as much as the children, if not, as, not more. But you see how it brings them to life? If we're ever going to have a party and we can't have it on Easter, oh, my goodness, what sad shape are we in? What sad shape are we in if we don't see Easter as the party that it represents? Let's go back. Let's go back. But let me read one verse to you to add to what you've heard of the story. It comes from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, when he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and our faith is in vain. Now, I started on my seminary journey in 1980. After finishing college in two years and an eight-year hiatus from college, the Lord called me to preach. I knew in Methodism that meant I had to go to school, so I took off. I got out of college, and my wife assured me that I should try SMU. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. In 1980, I thought that was a bad idea. Didn't I, Sally? I did. <laughs> but she said she had a job at the school where we'd been working in a little small church, and it was just five miles away. And I could drive to school and come back, and it'd be all right. I said, yeah, but Sally, they, they're, they don't believe like I believe, and they don't believe like you believe. She said, it might be better than you think. So I went. And I stand here now to testify before God that that's the only time my bride was ever wrong. <laughs> I lasted one semester. After tirelessly fussing and fighting over 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, and all it implied, I decided I need to go somewhere else to school. But I endured another semester because Sarah was on the way. Actually, in fact, Sarah was almost there. In fact, Sarah came four days before I left for Kentucky and Asbury Seminary. It was an easy decision to make because I ran into people at that day and time. I'm not talking about professors now. In that day and time where one tried to convince me that surely I didn't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. And I tried to convince that older, wiser professor, surely if you're a Christian, you do. And we stood nose to nose after many classes. He would get red in the face. I'm sure I did too. I was wondering if he was going to heaven, and he thought I was the stupidest thing he'd ever met. But he was also my counselor. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, right? But in the end, I told him, I'm headed out of here. This is not what I need. I'm sure it's great for everybody that's getting their education, but I need to learn the scriptures. I need to learn them from somebody that believes in them. And uh, so I took off. Never regretted it. It was the best two and a half years of our life while we were there raising our firstborn child in Asbury. We didn't have much to worry about, just me going to school. There wasn't much money to worry about. We just did our thing. And it's all because of the little I knew at that point, and trust me, you have no idea how little I knew. Many of you now 
knew more than I knew then, and I've been preaching, and this is a scary part, for three years to small congregations. I thought I'd already preached all the Bible after the first year. I thought I was done. What else can there be to preach? That's how little I knew. I wasn't raised studying the Scripture a lot in the typical United Methodist Church. Some, but not a lot. I got some study from a Bible study group when I came back to Christ and got serious about my faith. But still, it was very minuscule. I went to Asbury for, so that God could speak to me and convince me how I might could share the gospel in this book in a way that would be meaningful to different generations. I got more poured into me than I could ever wished. It was some of the highlight of my life, really, trudging back and forth a 50-mile drive from a little country church to seminary and back. But I've never forgotten. And in fact, of all the things I've thrown away in the years, one thing I still have, all the notes from every class I ever took, 1980 through 1984, of seminary. Okay, I got rid of the ones from Perkins. Now, if you go off and tell that, I'm going to get a call from the bishop. And at this point, I don't really care, so do whatever you want to do. I found there what I needed, and I brought it back with me, because I wanted to see what Kevin did today over and over and over again in my ministry. I wanted to experience people who understood that Easter is not another day on the calendar, but Easter is a perspective of life. I wanted to meet people who wanted to greet other people with a phrase, Christ is risen, and then say back to them, Christ is risen indeed. I wanted to be around people who believed. I wanted to be around people who believed it with all their heart. I wanted to be around with people who would give up stuff for the gospel of the kingdom. I wanted to live with people who gave, served, bled, and died all for the name of Jesus and did it with a sense of pride. And I finally wound up here. Here in this place. I have found and experienced people whose faith is everything to them. Now, there are a lot of people in the world who have faith, and it's important to them, but it's not everything to them. To our Lord, he was willing to crawl up on that cross, and there was not flowers on it, trust me. There were nails that pierced his body. He gave it all. And he said if we wanted to follow him, we should take up our cross and follow him. And so, flashback, he's dead. After two and a half years of wisdom and teaching like they couldn't believe, after showing them things they'd never seen before, right, Lazarus, come out of that cave. He resuscitated Lazarus. Not resurrected, he resuscitated Lazarus. He came back a human. We lived many more years. Wow. He raised a little boy, remember? He raised the mother-in-law, remember? Jesus did incredible things right in their sight and then told them that he was going to be killed, crucified, and then he'd rise again on the third day, and it went right over their heads. Now we kind of sit back and go, well, you know, we're a lot wiser than that now. Let's see. Let's think about that for a moment. In that day and age... Resurrection was not a concept that was in their experience. Not a concept. They lived in lives that were outside the ability to really understand. The New Testament had not been written. What they understood in the Old Testament had not prepared them as they had been taught it to recognize the Messiah when he came in their midst. It would have been hard for us too, right? If we'd have been them, it would have been very difficult to see. 
The Jesus that they met in Christ was not the resurrected Jesus, but a man just like them who could do incredible things, but they watched him die. They saw it. Their understanding of the Messiahship led them to believe it was over. They were devastated. The world order they thought that was coming was over. These are the same people who couldn't believe. They just couldn't get there based upon their own experience at that day and age. What they needed was they needed two things. First of all, they needed more of Jesus in a resurrected form so they could understand what this life after death meant because that was just too foreign for them. They couldn't go there. They just couldn't get there. It was a gulf too broad to bridge until Jesus came and died. But what they also needed is they needed the Holy Spirit who would come 50 days. In 50 days, the Holy Spirit would come and fill them, and they would be able to understand the Scriptures. They would be able to retain what they'd been taught. They'd be able to remember what it was about, and they'd be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the beginning, those ladies went to that tomb looking for a dead body. That's all. They had no expectation, no expectation whatever, of finding a risen Savior. They became surprised by life. Now, this is one of the points whenever I preach anything about this, I like to use an old, old quote. If you're under the age of, oh, I don't know, hmm, maybe 50, you won't know what I'm talking about unless you watch a lot of old TV. But I don't, I don't care. My wife is going to fuss about this, but that's okay, Sally. I'm with you anyway. In Gomer Pyle's words... What did he say? That's right. They couldn't expect it. They couldn't get ready for it. But just like Gomer, they were there with their mouth open. They didn't know what happened to him. The tomb was empty. Two shining men showed up. Angels in other gospel texts. They showed up. They showed up and they began to tell them, what's wrong with you? You're looking for the living among the dead. What? We saw him. Don't you remember what he taught you? No, they didn't. The Spirit had not yet been gifted to them to teach them and to call it to their memory. That was coming. But right then, it was a hard thing. Man, I'm glad we're so much more sophisticated now, aren't you? I mean, how much does knowledge around this world that Jesus was called the Son of God? How many nations do you think it's wrapped around on this earth? How many times? A lot, right? A lot. The understanding that Jesus was the Son of God, whether it's accepted or not, is at least known to them then. The concept that one man could bring eternal life to everyone else was out the window. And in our day and age, including in some, some, some professors, they thought it was foolishness. The dead can't rise. Well, Jesus did. The dead can't rise. Jesus did. Now you know how my conversation went with that professor, right? Over and over again. I can't, see, I can't see how you believe that. I said, I can't see how you don't. So what we're going to do, I'm leaving. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm leaving. Because you keep talking this nonsense to a lot of people who are younger, and they just sit there soak it in. And I don't want to listen to it. Because I don't believe that's the truth. I'm worried about your soul. I'll pray for you from Kentucky. <laughs> Bye. It was not a, not a, it was a not so sad parting. I don't know why that came up all of a sudden. I'm not going to call his name, bless his soul. I think he's gone to be with Jesus or he's gone. (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know about you. I know about me. I know where I'm going when I die. Some of you might be fooling me because I'm human. I can get fooled. Ask my wife. She'll tell you how gullible I am. Don't answer, dear. But we're here today because to some degree, some level of understanding, we do believe. We believe that Easter should be celebrated and that it is the most important day on the calendar, period. It is. It just is. It's more important than the day you got the best job you ever thought you'd get. It's more important than the best house you ever moved into. It's more important than having 16 children and all of them perfectly minding you. It's more important than having thousands for friends and being loved by the multitudes. It's more important than any of that stuff. It's more important than having your spouse. Although for some of you, that's hard to believe. It's more important than you can imagine. Everything revolves around this day. Period. If Christ did not get off that cross and out of that tomb, we wouldn't be here, period. We'd be just like them. We'd be dying expecting that to be over. And people still, after all these hundreds of years, have trouble believing that. You know that? There are still people today who come and they go, well, I know. They said Jesus rose from the dead, but you know people don't really rise from the dead. I don't know what they did. But, but I've met him after he's resurrected. That's the way that seminary professor talked. And he, that's the Christ we believe in, not the Jesus who walked the earth. I believe the Jesus who walked the earth was the Christ who was resurrected. I don't believe you can separate him for a whit, not for a minute. It's that Jesus who was flesh and blood that allowed my soul to be saved. And Sally can tell you, I'm using her a lot today that I needed a lot of saving. And it's a resurrected reality that is still happening today. I'm being resurrected new and afresh constantly. God has not given up on me yet or what I might could become, nor has he given up on you, nor has he given up on your neighbor, your boss, your coworker, the one who turns you into your HOA all the time, <laughs> the one who doesn't like you and says so. God has not given up on any of them. Because every one of us is precious to that God. There's a better way to describe what's going on in trying to remember the resurrection and how hard-headed some people are. In fact, it was such a good story that they made a movie about it, wrote a book about it, about Mr. Burpo. Remember Mr. Burpo? Most of you probably read the book. If not, I'm fixing to ruin it for you. Heaven is for real. Four years old. Mr. Burpo. About to die. Lying on the oper operating table. And he took a little trip. A side journey, if you will. In that side journey, he went to heaven. And he watched them operating on his body. And he did many other things that his family was to soon understand. But he never quit breathing. So it wasn't like he died and went to heaven and then came back. No, he'd never, his heart never stopped. But he stilled, his spirit departed from his body, and he went to heaven. And people said, including his dad first and his mom, surely, and his sister, yeah, sort of, and uh, most of the friends at school and most of the neighborhood, and even the people in the church just couldn't get it. Oh, did I mention he was, dad was a pastor? <laughs> he was a pastor, but he said, I don't know what got into my son, but you know, he say some strange things. Like he met his grandfather. He might have been a Methodist, this pastor. Actually, he wasn't, but he was a 
a pastor at Wesleyan Church, real story. He went back to his son. He took him a picture of an old man with glasses. He says, is this my, grand, this my dad, father that you saw in heaven? He showed him the picture, and he looked at him and said, nope, that's not him. <laughs> dad was going to trick him, right? Prove that he was just having a dream. But when he said, no, you sure this is not my dad? And then look again. The little boy said, nope, that wasn't him. That wasn't Pops. He went and found an old picture out of the attic and brought it back to his son and said, does this look familiar? He said, yeah, that's him. That's Pops. And it was. And his dad began to go, oh, my. I better go see a psychiatrist. Something's wrong here. And the psychiatrist kind of told him he was out of it. You know, he was, it wasn't real. It was just a little boy's imagination. He didn't stay too long at the psychiatrist's office, thanks goodness. He went back, kept talking to his son, who kept telling him bits and pieces more and more. And it got bad. You know why it got bad? Because the congregation knew that he was struggling with the fact that his son went to heaven or not. And they basically put him on leave of absence. They thought he had gone nuts, too. And he wasn't for sure. Then, talking with his mother one day, he told her about a little girl he met in heaven. And he said, you know, I met this little girl in heaven. She was my sister. And her mother sat up and said, I said, I know you have a sister. Your sister's not here today, but you, your sister's here. He said, no, it wasn't that sister. I have two sisters. She got real quiet. She said, what do you mean? And he said, this little girl told me that she, was, she died in your tummy before she was born and that she was my sister. And the mother could hardly respond. And then she said, what was her name? And he looked at her and he said, she had no name because y'all never gave her a name since she died so early. Guess who believed then? Guess who believed that this little boy had no concept or knowledge that he had a third child because it had never been shared? Met his sister in heaven. And all of a sudden, heaven became real. For that family and that congregation, it turned everything around for them. The pastor stayed. They got behind him and the little boy. And they became amazed because a miracle had taken place in their life. This world is not too large for miracles to still happen. It's not too large. We just had to learn to look beyond the surprises to see what the source of the surprises are. Because God is still alive and well, and his son is on the throne. Miracles happen, and they happen regularly. Easter, another day on the calendar? No, 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 no. It's the day on the calendar. Without it, there is no Christmas. Without it, there is no church. Without it, there is no purpose that's eternal. Without it, there's a fear of death and dying. Without it, there's a fear of permanent separations from the one we love on these earth. Without it, life is totally different. It would be so different that most of the people alive here today in this world who deny that Jesus was the Christ have no clue that most of the framework of the life that they enjoy came after Jesus and because of Jesus. 
It doesn't matter. Even when we disbelieve, even when we make him some kind of nebulous God that could be like any other God that people choose to worship, Jesus is still the Christ, the Christ of the resurrection and the Christ of faith that leads to life eternal. You may be here this morning, and you may struggle with it. That's okay. I'm all right with you struggling with it. And you're probably okay with you struggling with it, too. After all, there's lots of other ways to get to heaven. So some people say, I don't know about those other ways. I don't really know where they get you to. I do know this. I'm not going to try and find out. I'm going to stick with the one I know works because it's based upon the only one that came out of that tomb repeatedly to those who knew him best as a resurrected Christ. Nobody else has that story. Nobody else. And this wasn't some story they made up. You think if they'd made it up, it would have happened? You think they'd been brave enough to sneak back there to that tomb under Roman guard? They weren't even brave enough to watch him get killed. They watched him from a distance. They weren't about to go try and rob that tomb. They were scared to death. It was real. It was easy for God to deliver him. And it's a lot easier today than people think. If only we can latch on to this this Savior. It was unlike any other kind of God people had known then and is unlike any other kind of God that we worship today. If you're here today and you don't know that, I would love to pray for you. I'd love to talk to you. Because it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It's your future that I'm worried about. Because in the future, there's always hope and grace for every person that turns to that Christ. It's offered to everyone. All we have to be ready to do is to greet other people, kind of like the way that they were greeting in the first century. Christ is risen. Wow, yeah. I know, Christ is risen indeed. And when somebody comes up to you and says, I hear you're one of those Jesus freaks, is that right? You should smile, biggest smile you got and say, yep, that'd be me. Let me tell you about Jesus. You have questions? Whatever you know, as little as you think it is, is more than that person knows, more than likely. Even if they've been reading, they've been reading it unaided by the Holy Spirit because they're not believers. Some of you, may have wandered in this morning thinking, isn't this a little bit uh, more evangelical than the typical United Methodist Church? I don't know about that. I don't know what a typical United Methodist Church is. It's not any different than what I've said in every United Methodist Church I've ever been in. But if it's different to you, let me assure you of this. This is not a fairy tale. What you do and don't do, God has given you the blessed opportunity to choose. But there's only one Savior by which people are saved, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus saves a lot of people. It's going to be really a shock to me. I'm kind of worried about heaven a little bit. You say, well, what about? well I'm worried I'm going to get there. I'm afraid I'll waste a lot of time looking for somebody that's not there. So if you're there when I get there, just look me up and tell me I, I made it. Don't, don't be looking for me. Look for one of those other ones, okay? Because I'm worried when I get there, some people might be there. And I'm also worried that I get there and some people... I didn't think had a clue of a chance they're going to be sitting on the front row. <laughs> Who knows? Jesus is the only one that can look into people's hearts. He's the only one that knows if you love him. He's the only one who will die for you, and it will make a difference in the rest of eternity.
Earth? Yeah, it's nice to have live in the USA. It's great. We're so blessed. We're kind of rotten. But you know what's better? To live forever and to be a child of the king. If you don't understand that or you don't have a place that will help you understand that and teach you that, this is a place where you can come and there are people who will share the gospel with you, talk to you about your faith, talk to you about life and how difficult it is, but also how great it is. We would love to meet you. If you need to come forward, come as we stand and sing our closing hymn.